0: Hi everybody, Uh, last time we read our book, we read chapter 54 through 58, Uh, chapter 54 was called Slank's Plan, and basically, that was about uh, Slank and Little Richard had gotten the trunk from the mermaids, and they had taken, they had... Uh, Stash's longboat, and they also had a dory, and they were uh, rowing the trunk back to the big ship, the wasp. Little Richard started carrying the trunk, and he started feeling really good. His wounds started healing, so Slank made him put it down, and they towed it instead because he knew what was going on. Uh, Chapter 55 was called A Close Call, so that was back to Peter... Uh, and the boys, and they're flying over the treetops. Some of them are pretty scared to fly, um, but they start flying over the treetops. That's what that one is about. Chapter 56 is called "Capsized." It's back to Slank and Little Richard. The mermaids catch up to them, and they capsize their boat and basically take the trunk back to their hideout where they were. Chapter 57 was called An Old Friend. Uh, Back to Peter and the others, the boys and Alf. Um, They get over the treetops, and they land on the beach. And Peter, uh, the, the boys are asking a lot of questions. And Peter is trying to answer it, but at that moment, Am, the porpoise, shows up. So they're going to talk to him. Chapter 58 is called Crossroads. That was, about, that was the last chapter we read. It was about Blackstash and um, the pirates. And they decided to send out two scouts, both going different ways. And that's where we ended chapter 58. Chapter 59 is called Am's Message. So we're back to Peter and the boys and Molly. And we're going to see what Am has to tell them. Peter trotted down the beach toward Molly, who was now waist-deep in the moonlit cove, squeaking and chittering as she waded toward the upthrust, grinning snout of Am. James, trotting alongside Peter, said, What is it? What's she doing? She's talking to the porpoise, said Peter. His name is Am. Fish can talk, said James. This one can, said Peter. What's it saying, said James, as they reached the water's edge. I don't know, said Peter. I don't speak porpoise. But Molly does. She'll tell us. They were now standing next to Molly, with Am several feet in front of them, listening politely. Molly, desperate for news from her father, forced herself to remember the mandatory opening formalities of porpoise talk. Greetings, she said. Greetings, said Am. Molly Teeth Green, said Molly. Yes, agreed Am. Molly Teeth Green. Molly Happy See Am, she said. The porpoise language has 237 words that mean happy, and Molly had actually chosen the one denoting the happiness derived from having one's belly tickled by seaweed. Am doubted that Molly was feeling this particular happiness, but out of politeness used the same word in responding. Am happy see Molly, he said. With the formalities concluded, Molly took a breath and frowned in concentration, not wanting to make any mistakes as she got to the critical question. Molly, father, come? Am paused for several moments, during which Molly did not breathe. Then Am said, Yes, Molly, father, come. Molly exhaled, and in English said, Thank heaven. What, said Peter. He says my father is coming, said Molly. When, said Peter. I don't know, said Molly. Switching back to porpoise, she said, When, Molly, father, come? Day, said Am. Molly frowned. "'What day?' "'Am hesitated, as if confused by the question, then repeated, "'Day.' "'Day,' said Molly. "'Day,' said Am. "'What's he saying?' said Peter. "'I'm not actually sure,' said Molly. "'I think he's saying day, but my porpoise is not very good, "'and the porpoise language is vague about time. "'If he is saying day, he could mean my father is coming tomorrow, "'but I think he could also be saying it will will be more days.' "'I hope he means tomorrow,' said Peter.' Yes, said Molly, but even that might be too late, if the pirates have the trunk. We must. She was interrupted by more chittering from Am. Molly listened, struggling to follow the sounds. The only part she caught was, bad man. Again, please, she said. Am spoke again, more deliberately. This time Molly caught, bad man again, and light. Molly pondered that. Light. What could he mean by... "'Oh, no,' she said. "'What?' said Peter. "'I think he's saying the pirates have the trunk,' said Molly. "'Does he know where they are?' said Peter. "'Where, bad man?' Molly asked Am. "'Where, light?' "'Molly, come,' said Am. "'He darted a few yards to the left toward the rocky, wave-lashed point "'at the left end of the cove, then repeated, "'Molly, come.' "'He wants us to follow,' said Molly. "'To Am,' she said, "'Molly, come.' Am whirled and plunged into the water, surfacing just moments later, twenty-five yards farther along the beach, toward the point of land, chittering, "'Come!' Peter and James trotted diagonally back to the beach, then on a parallel course with the porpoise, who kept popping up to make sure they were with him. Alf and the other boys, thoroughly mystified, trotted along behind. "'What are we doing, lad?' panted Alf. "'Following the porpoise,' said Peter. "'But why?' shouted Tubby Ted, bringing up the rear. "'It's a talking porpoise,' shouted James. "'It's taking us to the treasure.' "'It's what?' said Alf and Tubby Ted at the same time. "'He's right,' said Peter over his shoulder. "'But who has the treasure? "'It's them pirates. "'Is that it, lad?' Alf questioned. "'Yes, we think so,' Peter admitted. "'And we—I mean, Molly has to get the trunk back from them.' "'Well, then, why didn't you say so?' I wouldn't miss it, said Alf. Same, said James. Thomas and Prentiss said nothing, but not wanting to be left alone on this increasingly strange island, trotted along with the group, as did the panting, incessantly complaining Tubby Ted. They trotted for a hundred yards, at which point the beach curved sharply to the left, along a steeply rising lava slope. At the end lay the point, where huge ocean rollers, having traveled unhampered across thousands of miles of open ocean, slammed thunderingly into massive lava formations, sending spray high into the air. Am continued to follow the coast, heading out toward the end of the point. On shore, the little band of humans followed, but as the hard-packed beach sand gave way to sharp, treacherously hole-ridden lava, the footing instantly became near impossible, and the going very slow. Peter stopped for a moment and studied the slope. "'Look,' he said to Molly. "'Am has to swim around that point. He can't use the land. But we can. It would be a lot quicker for us to just climb this hill and meet him at the water on the other side.' Molly considered the hill, then shook her head. "'We don't know what's on the other side of this hill. It might be another cove, but it might also be more island. We could be back in the jungle and lost.' "'Besides, Am may be leading us to the end of this point.' "'But we can't keep up with him, not on on these rocks,' said Peter. He gestured toward the others who were picking their way over the dark lava rock by rock with agonizing slowness. Am was far ahead now, an intermittent speck of light gray in the dark, roiling water. "'I've got to try to stay with him,' said Molly. "'I don't dare lose him.' "'All right, then,' said Peter. "'I'll climb this hill and see what I see.' Water or land? Either way, I'll come back and tell you. Molly looked doubtful. You'll come right back, she said. I'll find you, he said. Their eyes met for a moment. All right, she said. And with that, Peter was gone, clambering up the steep, rocky hillside, leaving the others to struggle along in pursuit of Am, wherever he was leading them. Chapter 60 Too Quick for a Cloud, Too Big for a Bird Barely rippling the surface, the trunk glided toward the waterfall at the mouth of the the lagoon. The brackish water grew clear, so that from above, long, powerful green tails could be seen propelling the trunk, as the mermaids triumphantly bore their prize back to their lair. Feeling safe now, they raised their heads from the water. The one in the lead, the others called her, in their strange, throaty language, teacher, turned and smiled at her school, Her long, thick hair was blonde. Her teeth, white and even, were human now, exposure to the trunk having completed her transformation from fish to mermaid. The other mermaids smiled back at her, human teeth all. So elated were they by their triumph, so absorbed with their prize, their creator, that only one of them, a young mermaid in the back of the school, happened to see the thing that flew across the face of the moon. Too quick for a cloud too big for a bird. She grunted in alarm and slapped her tail twice on the water surface. The other mermaids responded instantly, driving and diving in fright, all but teacher who would not leave the creator. She wrapped her arms around the trunk defiantly and looked up at the blackened silhouette swooping toward her. She recognized it at once and snarled. Lean forward, shouted Slank from the bow of the flying longboat. He was still getting the feel of it, his ability to steer shaky and imprecise. In the bright moonlight, he could clearly see his target below, as well as the blonde-haired she-fish hissing up at him. At the stern, Little Richard, gripping both sides in terror, shifted his weight slightly forward as the longboat dove. Slank leaned to port, lining up the bow with his target. Steady, steady, the boat hurtled downward. The mermaid did not move. She's brave, I'll give her that. As the boat was about to hit the water, Slank leaned back. The bow lifted slightly, avoiding a direct collision with the trunk, but striking the defiant mermaid. Slank felt the thud in his feet. That's one less to worry about. The longboat splashed down into the lagoon, its sharp bow sending up waves on each side. Slank and Little Richard tumbled to the bottom of the boat, which rocked violently for a moment, but did not capsize. The trunk! Slank shouted, struggling to his feet. There, said little Richard, pointing. The trunk bobbed in the water astern. Slank thought about diving in after it, but it quickly changed his mind. She-fish. There were a dozen or more of them, between the boat and the trunk, diving and surfacing frantically, apparently searching for something. It took Slank a moment, but then he understood. They're looking for the one I hit. Whirling, Slank lunged to the bow and looked into the water. There she is. Her body was wedged under the prow, floating motionless. Slank grabbed her by the arm and dragged her into the boat. Her face was covered with blood. She was breathing, but barely. Suddenly there was a wail from the water, and then more. The mermaids had caught sight of their wounded sister and were surrounding the boat, snarling. "'Throw her back!' shouted Little Richard. "'They'll capsize us again.' "'No!' shouted Slank, drawing his knife. "'She's our barter!' He grabbed the unconscious mermaid and hauled her upright, holding the knife at her neck. The mermaids wailed and keened in horror. "'Listen!' shouted Slank. "'I give her to you!' He made a gesture of throwing her over the side. "'And you give me that!' he pointed at the trunk. "'You understand?' The mermaid showed no sign of comprehending. Instead, responding to some signal neither man heard or saw, the mermaids flashed their tails and disappeared, leaving only ripples. Five seconds passed. Ten. I don't like this, said Little Richard. Get your whip, said Slank, dropping the unconscious mermaid at the bow. Little Richard uncoiled the bullwhip he kept wrapped around his waist. Here they come, he said. The two men crouched, watching the water. Suddenly, the dark, shifting shapes shot up at them through the moonlit water. "'Here they come!' Slank said. In a flash of tails, the mermaid slammed the boat, rocking it violently. Slank stabbed blindly down into the water. Little Richard's whip cracked once, twice, but he, too, was having trouble drawing a bead on the swiftly moving creatures. The boat rocked again. Again, Slank stabbed at the water, this time driving several of the creatures back. But only for a moment." The mermaids came at them again, then again. Slank and Little Richard lunged frantically back and forth in the boat, grunting, shouting, trying to keep them at bay, trying to keep the wildly gyrating boat from going over. From time to time the knife cut or the whip connected, each time drawing a scream. The water around the longboat grew cloudy with blood, but the mermaids kept coming, coming, frothing the water around the unsteady longboat. "'There!' Slank shouted, pointing, as the mermaids working together massed for an attack at the stern, their goal being to pull the transom underwater with their weight. A lash from Little Richard's whip drove them off, sent the the bow splashing down and caused Slank to fall. Rising, he looked behind him to see that the wounded mermaid was... gone. She had either slipped or fallen back into the water. The other mermaids, still battling Little Richard at the stern, apparently had not noticed. Slank searched the blood-clouded water around the bow, but saw no sign of her. Meanwhile, as Slank peered into the water at the bow, and Little Richard battled the mermaids at the stern, the trunk, momentarily forgotten by all of them, drifted farther and farther from the longboat into the night. Chapter 61 Crenshaw Returns Black Stash held up a hand, silently stopping Smee and the others, and signaled them off the jungle path. Stash, too, stepped aside, concealing himself amid the enormous leaves of a plant. The sounds of someone running drew closer. A native? Stash crouched and laid his sword across the path. When the runner was upon him, Stash lifted the sword a few inches, and the runner, with a cry of pain, sprawled face-first onto the ground. Crenshaw! "'said Stash, stepping out. Cap'n said Crenshaw, out of breath. "'He hurried painfully to his feet. "'Well, man,' said Stash, "'what is it?' "'Crenshaw attempted to answer. "'I seen... "'That lizard?' said Smee, interrupting. "'Shut up, Smee,' said Stash. "'Crenshaw?' "'The longboat, cap'n,' said Crenshaw, "'still gasping for breath. "'The longboat?' said Stash, bewildered. "'Our longboat?' "'By his recollection, it should have been well down the island. "'Yes, sir, I seen it just now. "'Where?' "'It was... flying, Cap'n.' "'It was what?' "'Flying, Cap'n, up in the air, like a bird. "'But it weren't no bird. "'It was the longboat, sure as I'm standing here.' "'The other pirates gathered around now, "'muttering about this strange and unlucky island, "'where things kept flying that were not supposed to fly. "'Belay that talk,' said Stash.' "'Crenshaw, where did you see this flying longboat?' "'Up this path, where you sent me. "'It leads to a beach. A lagoon, sir. "'I'd just gotten there when I seized the longboat pass right in front of the moon, "'plain as anything, and there was men in it.' "'More muttering from the crew. "'I said, belay it,' said Stash. "'To Crenshaw he said, "'How many men? What men?' Two, I reckon. One of them big as fright he was.' "'Right across the moon they flied, fast as a bird they was. "'But it weren't no bird. It was a flying—' "'Yes, yes, a longboat,' said Stash, eyeing Crenshaw curiously. "'And where exactly did this longboat go?' "'Can't say for certain, Cap'n. There was trees and such in me way. "'It went from this ways to that,' he said, indicating right to left. "'Went past the moon and headed down.' "'Down?' "'Yes, Cap'n, down. I reckon toward the water.' "'What about the trunk? The treasure?' "'Didn't see nothing of the sort. Just the flying longboat. "'She went past, and I turned high-tailed to run back to tell you. "'And then you tripped me up, and then you asked me what i seen, and then I... "'I know this part, you idiot. "'Yes, sir.' "'Stash reviewed the situation. "'The trunk could not be far off, that was for certain. "'When things started flying, that should not be flying. "'The trunk had to be near. "'But who were these two men?' "'and what were they doing in this longboat?' "'All right, men,' said Stash. "'We double-time down to this lagoon. "'Crenshaw, you lead the way, "'and show us where you've seen this flying longboat. "'Move!' "'Trotting with a pronounced limp, "'Crenshaw headed back down the path, "'followed by Stash, "'and somewhat more reluctantly, Smee and the others. "'In a few minutes the path widened. "'Patches of low fog shone in the moonlight, "'like tiny puffs of gray cotton.' Crenshaw had left out mention of the swirling fog. Stash smelled the lagoon before he saw it, like a fresh rainfall. From far to his left came the trickling sound of water, a stream and waterfall that fed the lagoon. Then, above the sounds of the water, he heard distinctly human sounds, grunting, shouting, splashing, the crack of a whip, familiar sounds to a pirate, fighting. The path led to a small sand dune. Stash stopped his men short. By the sound of it, the fight was raging in the water just on the other side. No reason to join a fight until you know what side you're on. Another crack of the whip. Then, a scream. A woman's scream. His men stopped, all eyes on Stash. Here's what we do, he whispered. Whoever's out there, we let them kill each other off. When they're done and the fighting stops, we'll take care of whoever's left. Get your weapons ready, he was thinking, flying boats and fighting, the treasures at the heart of this. Then, drawing his sword, Stash began to creep up the side of the dune. We will stop there for today. The next chapter is called Chapter 62, Peter's Decision.